may be seated. If you would, you could turn in your bulletins to the insert and turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4. We're continuing in our series on gospel foundations for marriage, and this week we're looking at communication in marriage. And Ephesians 4 is a key passage on communication, but we need to understand again the context of the book of Ephesians, that the doxology of chapters 1 through 3 is foundational for understanding the directives of chapters 4 through 6. I can't emphasize enough the need to recognize that any growth in godliness is a result of God's work of grace in our lives first. It's a miracle that any of us demonstrate even a hint of righteousness or holiness in our behavior, especially in our communication. The belief drives the behavior. The indicatives precede the imperatives. The doctrine is what drives the duty. What's true is going to determine what we do. This is foundational for what we're going to hear today. And in this section, Paul begins this key section with contrasting how the Ephesian Christians once lived before Christ and now how they have been learning Christ, how they have learned Christ, and in in light of coming to faith in Christ, what's to be different in their lives? They're united to Christ. They're in Christ. They've been saved by God's grace. And verse 20 says they've been called to learn Christ and to be taught in Him as the truth is in Jesus. So, this passage is really the most explicit description of the process of change for the Christian. Once we learn Christ, what happens next? The doctrine of sanctification, of growth in godliness, of discipleship is described for us in detail. Now, let me be clear about this. It's, it's not optional for us. This is what God's Word requires of everyone who is in Christ, has been saved by grace, that we would grow in that grace. And by His power at work in us, we are called to discipleship. So, follow along as I read Ephesians 4, beginning at verse 20 through 32. But that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about Him and were taught in Him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such is good for building up, as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another." tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Let's pray. 
Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your holy Word. We thank You for the high standard that You have given us, and we thank You for the hope that we have in Jesus, the hope of the power of the gospel at work in our lives, the Holy Spirit indwelling us to make clear these spiritual things that can't be discerned by our natural eyes, but require Your Spirit to discern the truth. Lord, when we see the truth, we pray that we would not be hearers only, but that we would be doers of it as well. And for this, we depend on Your Holy Spirit's power, the ability to work what You have called us to do. Lord, I pray that as we dwell in Your Word this morning, that You would transform us and strengthen us in our conversation, in our communication, in our marriages, Lord. We pray this for Your glory and Your honor in Jesus' name. Amen. I am so hoping to ruin the communication in my marriage is something that no one has said ever. People don't intentionally go about saying, how can I just totally mess up my communication in marriage? It, it just happens. Or does it just happen? I've spent years in junior high and high school um, studying Spanish and learning Spanish. And that foundation of learning is really only helpful as I keep practicing it. You know how it is. Once you learn something, you've got to keep practicing it and reviewing it or it just goes away. So the challenge to my Spanish every year is when we take our short-term mission trip to Juarez, Mexico, and I'm immersed in Spanish at the churches and in the communities that we work. So some years I've ramped up my review and my practicing by having conversations with Janie or the kids in Spanish. I'll tune into the Spanish radio station or put Spanish CDs in the car to listen to. Sometimes I'll even install Duolingo on my phone and work through the app and get the gems or the stars or whatever as I play those games to review my Spanish, review my Spanish. Sometimes I go to Mexican restaurants but I probably only end up expanding my belt than not my uh, vocabulary. We have to keep up with things or we're going to lose them. The key to good communication, really, good communication, especially in marriage, is learning the gospel foundation for conversation, for communication, and then practicing it. Don't, letting it, go, don't let it go by the wayside. You know the saying, if you don't use it, you will lose it. And so today we're going to examine the way that Paul really zeroes in on the way that we speak as Christians and what we say and what we shouldn't say and why we do it. As we look at first the paradigm that Paul gives us for how does this transformational change work in our lives? How do we go from people that are saved by God's grace declared righteous before God, and now growing into looking more like Jesus. What's the way in which that happens in our life? We'll look at that in verses 20 through 24, and then we're going to drill into the specific examples, the, the four examples of conversation that really evidences a life that's transformed by the power of Christ, that we're created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness to live by. We're going to see to speak the truth in love, to solve problems, don't stew on them, to give grace, not grief, 
and crosstalk, not crosstalk. Nathan, what are you trying to say there? We'll get to that. First, let's look at the pattern or maybe a paradigm that Paul lays out for change. Verse 20, but that's not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you heard about Him and were taught in Him as the truth is in Jesus. And here's the first component of change, first key to real change in the Christian life. All three of these keys have to be present. Sometimes they're in a different order, but all three are there. Verse 22, put off your old self, which belongs to the former manner of life. It's corrupt with deceitful desires. Secondly, verse 23, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. And thirdly, verse 24, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. These three key components are what Paul lays out for us to, to, to show us how all change in our lives as Christians should happen. Our Westminster Shorter Catechism in question number 35 picks this up in the doctrine of sanctification. Sanctification is the work of God's grace whereby we're renewed in the whole mind, man, after the image of God, and we're enabled more and more to die unto sin and to live unto righteousness. And this key passage, Ephesians 4, 20 to 24, gives us how this takes place in our life. What, what is the putting off of the old self? Uh, this term put off is what you would use in describing a, a piece of clothing. Uh, think of it as a, as a dirty, soiled, smelly piece of clothing. You're putting that off. And that's our old self, thought words and deeds, attitudes and actions that proceed from the, the remnants of our sin nature that we inherited from Adam. And we're called to lay aside like these dirty clothes. That's putting off the old self. Putting on the new self are those thoughts, those words, those deeds, those attitudes and actions that proceed from the Holy Spirit working in our lives since we're in Christ, who's the second Adam. And so what are those new ways of living that we, that we are putting on as those new clothes that we're to wear to honor the Lord. And thirdly, and, and, and very importantly, there is the renewal of the mind. You see, if, if you just say the Christian life is about stop sinning and start doing good things, then Christianity becomes like a lot of world religions. It's just about being good. It's just about being moral. It's just about being the best person you can be. But in God's economy, the way that God works sanctification and holiness into our lives is that He intends for there to be a renewal of our mind. That's in verse 23, be renewed in the spirit of your minds. And this is the new way of thinking. This is the new attitude, the new affection or motivation that the gospel of grace brings to our lives. Because of the gospel of grace that Jesus Christ came in this world to save sinners and we're those sinners He saves and rescues. Because of that gospel, we can have a new way of thinking, a new way of feeling, a new attitude that directly focuses in on some area of change. We're going to see this played out in each of these communication principles that we're looking at, but grounded in the new mindset that the gospel brings. And so, this change that happens in our life, sanctification, it's a work that God does and that we do as well. 
You see, when you are declared righteous by God and, and God saving you and justifying you, there's nothing you did to contribute to that. There's not any works that you could do to make yourself right before God. He declares you righteous, and that's His act, one time done. But this process that we grow more and more to look like Jesus is that process He works in us by the Holy Spirit working in it. Two verses or two passages that help to make this really clear to us. Philippians 2, 12, and 13. Therefore, my beloved, as you've always obeyed, so now also as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Well, that sounds like me. Sounds like I got to be at work. Yes, that's true. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. God's got to empower me. God's got to motivate me. And I got to work out my own salvation with fear and trembling. It's a synergy working together. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, memorized in vacation Bible school as a little boy. I remember when verse 10 was first added to the picture for me, it made so much sense because I understood it's by grace that you're saved through faith. It's not of works that I have done. Or otherwise, I could boast about it. But it goes on to say, for we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works that He prepared beforehand that I should walk in them. God prepares them, I walk in them. The process of change for the Christian, the paradigm that God gives us is you got to put off, you got to put on, but you do so when your mind is renewed and your heart is transformed because we live out of our hearts and we're renewed in the spirit of our minds as we live for Him. So, what does this look like in each of these areas of communication? Now, Paul uses verses 25 to 32 to primarily talk about ways in which we relate to one another and communicate with one another. And so, there's application for this in, in all of our relationships, but I think it so keenly applies to our marriage relationships in particular. And so, verse 25, we're going to look at speaking the truth in love. Actually, you could reach back to verse 15 of chapter 4, just before where we started, and he says in Ephesians 4:15, rather, speaking the truth in love... We are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ. And he says in verse 25, Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. And so, there are a few parts to this command, and it involves speaking, it involves speaking the truth, and it involves speaking the truth in love. So, I want to back it down to, we're called to speak as believers. And we're called to speak in our marriage relationships. You know, even before getting married, dating and getting engaged, I see a lot of couples in premarital counseling, they just love to talk to each other. They talk, talk, talk. They talk about everything, dreams, aspirations, all sorts of talk going on until at some point, I think it happens predominantly with the woman in the relationship. She wants she doesn't want to necessarily say something and be understood. She wants, she wants her to be able to be understood without saying a word. That's just so romantic, isn't it? Now, the reality of that is 
none of us are mind readers. So what ends up happening is when they fail to speak, we fail to know what they want. And that ends up with a lot of problems. Now, on the other side of the equation, guys will often early on in the relationship be expressive of their love and tell their uh, fiance, oh, I love you, I love you. And then as time goes on, there isn't as much expression of that. And, and, and the, the woman will say, well, why aren't you telling me that you love me? And the husband or the fiance will come back, well, I told you I loved you before. If anything changes, I'll let you know. So we start to take things for granted. We start to make assumptions. We start to hope that our minds will be read. Later in marriage, we take our communication for granted and we, we, we stop practicing. Uh, we fail to cultivate it. After time, it just kind of stagnates. We get into the routines and the expected phrases that just kind of go back and forth with no, no real depth to them. Or sometimes we get into bad routines of reruns of those old arguments. And those old reruns keep coming and coming and coming. And then we stop speaking because we learn it's not worth bringing it up again. So we just clam up in order to avoid the argument. This is what Ken, Ken Sandy calls peace faking. Where it seems like everything's okay on the surface because it's quiet. But there's no peace because we've just clammed up. So, when we see Paul say to speak the truth in love, the first command is to speak. You can't assume that people understand without communicating. Speak truth. Now, let's zero in on verse 25 because it fits this paradigm that he just set out for us. Verse 25 says, Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we're members one of another. So, what is the put off? Falsehood. Falsehood is, is lies, but it's also deception, it's cover-up, it's misdirection. All that has to be put off. We've got to get rid of that in our relationships. Okay, well, if we're going to get rid of something, we've got to put something in its place. That vacuum has to be filled with something else. We're supposed to speak, so we've got to speak truth, right? Let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. So the put on is speak truth, honest, truthful, transparent, straightforward talk. That's what should be characterizing when we're speaking, speaking truth. Now, the renewal of the mind comes in, and it's so important because at the end of verse 25, it says, for, and usually when you have a for or because or therefore, you're getting that renewal of the mind, for we are members one of another. Now, that would seem a little strange or not make a whole lot of sense if you just took this out of context. Stop lying, start telling the truth because we're members one of another. Well, remember chapters 1 through 3. What Jesus Christ has died to create is this one body. He's the head over this body, and He knits us together. We have different parts. We have different gifts, but we're united in Christ. The gospel involves uniting us together as believers. What happens when you put lying into those relationships? It just tears it apart. It just breaks it apart. And so, yeah, lying, uh, crying wolf, or exaggerating, 
there may be some consequences that happen to that, but with this renewal of the mind, realize that you're acting anti-Christ, anti-gospel to lie because it divides. So, it's a big problem. Trust is really a fragile thing, and lying or falsehood destroys that trust, and it takes time to rebuild, to work back again. I remember in PE class back in high school, we had this wooden board with all the pegs in it and these holes that you take the peg and you're supposed to climb up the wall with. I don't know, it's probably too dangerous to have in schools anymore, but um, imagine like the ninja warrior on TV, all the feats of strength they do. Well, if you put the one peg in and get ready to take the next peg out, you have to have this one firmly set in order to get up to the next rung and to the next rung. And if you don't have that peg firmly set in and you stumble and fall, do you go down one peg? No, you crash down to the floor. Building trust is, requires truth upon truth after truth, not just one truth. And so we need to be speaking truth and doing so in love. You know, some people speak the truth. I'm all about the truth. Let me tell you the truth. You can't handle the truth. I know what it is. I'm going to call a spade a spade. I'm just being honest. And a lot of times those are actually code words for you're just brutal with the truth. We need to speak the truth, but we're to speak it in love. As Paul says, Paul said at the beginning of chapter 4, walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the uni unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. This unity is going to happen when you stop lying, start telling the truth, and you speak the truth in love, graciously, kindly, lovingly. So you see these three components coming to play in speaking the truth in love. Let's look at solving problems. Don't stew on them. Put together verses 26 and 27. It says, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Okay, so there's three components that got to be here. How do we solve problems and not stew on them? Well, first, let's look at the put off. When there's a do not, that's the put off. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. So it's a particular kind of anger, anger that goes on that is extended. It's stewing over grievances and conflict that turns into bitterness and resentment. It's letting the sun after sun after sun go on your anger and not resolving the problem. Okay, so if we're to put off that anger that keeps going and is unresolved, what do we put in its place? Now, this is a tough one because the first two words are tell us a command be angry. Really? I mean, for the most part, the anger of man doesn't accomplish the righteousness of Christ. But I think in this particular case, you're seeing be angry, but don't sin in your anger. And I really see that this anger is an energy that is powerful and it's directed at a problem. When there's a disagreement, a conflict, when I bring some sin to the table, I need to attack that sin. I need to fight that sin, and it takes some strength to do it. 
And I think anger is that God-given energy to conquer and to fight and to win against your own sin. And I think it's also the energy that keeps you persevering in the hard work of resolving conflicts and problems so that you don't end up stewing on them. It's the energy that we need to keep at it. But what's the renewal of the mind? What's the new way of thinking in this matter? Verse 27, and give no opportunity to the devil. Why would you give the devil an opportunity? Isn't he the enemy? How can you play for God's team and Satan's team at the, end, at the same time? You, you can't. And so, if you see being sinfully angry and unresolved conflict going on and on as a tool of the devil, which it is. He wants to sow discord among the brothers. He wants to deceive. He wants to keep us in division. So, we're playing right into his game if we're not using the energy to fight our sin and to resolve our conflict. And instead, we fit into his model why don't you just stew over this for a while? You have a right to be angry about this. Can you believe they did that? And that's a lie from the devil that we believe and we stay stuck stewing in our problems instead of solving those problems. Let's look at giving grace, not grief, verse 29 and 30. And this isn't an exhaustive list of every biblical principle of communication. We're not even talking about listening, but we're focusing in on what Paul is saying here, and he says, verse 29, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. All right, what are we putting off here? We're putting off the corrupting talk. What is that? It's tearing down. The word means foul or rotten. Words that are useless, ugly, worthless, noxious, offensive. This is the corrupting talk that does nothing but drag down, pull down, and hurt. So we're putting that off, and what are we putting in its place? Put on only what is good for building up as fits the occasion. So, fitting good words that are the ones that are actually building up, they're suitable, they're profitable, they benefit other people. Uh, they can be comfort, they can be counsel, they can be encouragement, instruction, but it should be building up words that replace these words that just tear down. People are so damaged and hurt by those tearing down words that they hear in their childhood, that they hear from hurtful kids on the playground. There's so much that tears us down. We ought to be as Christians those who are all about building up and encouraging. And why? What's the renewal of the mind here? What's the new motivation? Well, the renewal of the mind is that it may give grace to those who hear. Did you hear that? How in the world can we give grace to another human being? That's amazing that God gives us an ability to give grace to somebody. I mean, do you appreciate the grace that God's given you? Do you appreciate all that that means for your life 
and your well-being and your security. If you do appreciate the grace that He gives you, realize that your words can give grace. And they can be fit for an occasion. And those words won't grieve the Holy Spirit of God. There's a positive side that gives grace, but there's also a warning wrapped in this renewal of the mind. You're going to be grieving the Holy Spirit if you're just tearing people down. Because remember, the Holy Spirit by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption is seeking to unite you with other believers and hold you together. And that Spirit, Holy Spirit, is called the Comforter. And if you're not using your words to comfort and you're using them to tear down, then you're working against His purpose in other believers' lives. So that renewal of the mind is to give grace and not to grieve the Holy Spirit. Our, our mission as Christians would, should be to be able to give grace to others. There's a, another passage where Paul says that our speech should be seasoned like with grace. And when you see somebody in a certain occasion needing a word, sometimes people need a word of encouragement. Sometimes they need a word of correction. Sometimes they just, they just need you to fit the word to that occasion. And seasoning it with grace, I think, is a, is a beautiful image for us to think about our words. How are you serving out your words? Sometimes we're so reactionary with our words that we let the circumstances dictate how we're going to blurt out. Well, that's just the way it is. We can't, we got to take those words and those thoughts captives and season them up so that they're palatable, so that they're flavorful, so that it gives grace to those who hear. And finally, we need crosstalk, not crosstalk. I think you'll understand what I mean. Someone whose cross is described in verse 31, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. That's the put away, the put off. That's the dirty clothes, get rid of that. What do we put in its place? Verse 32, be kind to one another. Another be tender-hearted, be forgiving one another. And the powerful, powerful renewal of the mind is as God in Christ forgave you. So what are we putting off in all this bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and slander? These, these are these hurtful and destructive words and attitudes that just devastate our relationships. Get rid of those. Stop making war with your words. Instead, we should be kind, tender-hearted, and forgiving. These words are excellent, excellent words, suitable words, gracious words, merciful words, loving words. These words ought to characterize being the peacemakers in relationships so that we, we're not just cross all the time, but the renewal of the mind takes us to the cross where we learn a new vocabulary, a new set of words, grace, and mercy, and love, and kindness, and tenderness in our hearts. God made peace with you through the cross of Jesus. Through His sacrifice on the cross, you can have peace with God and trusting in Him. That promise to forgive us our sins is a powerful promise. And that, as God in Christ forgave you, 
we're reminded of it every week in our worship service. Every time that we make confession of our sins, we receive this assurance that we're forgiven, we're pardoned, we're cleansed. And the Bible describes how God has forgiven us in Christ. And we hear it as far as the east is from the west so far as He removed our transgressions from us. He has cast all of our sins into the depths of the sea. He remembers them no more. So how should you forgive as God has forgiven you? You see that vertical has got to inform the horizontal. The way God treats you is that I will remember them no more. We should remember someone who asks for and we grant forgiveness to. We don't bring their sins back up to them. We shouldn't bring them back to ourselves. We shouldn't bring them up to God. We shouldn't bring them up to anyone else. And we should truly cover them over in love and forgive them as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. He's not bringing back reruns of your past sins against you. God doesn't treat you that way. You may think that in your own head, but He does not condemn you. The devil is the one that condemns. We receive grace upon grace. We ought to give that grace to others. So, this passage is really rich with good advice for communication in marriage. I mean, it's super practical. And really, I could take these truths and I could share them with unbelievers and they could look like they have a better marriage. I mean, if they're speaking and they're speaking truth and they're speaking truth in love, that's going to be a better relationship, isn't it? I could tell even to unbelievers that they should be solving their problems and not stewing on them. You know, let's work on principles for, for resolving this conflict and fixing it. And I could tell unbelievers that, that they shouldn't be giving each other grief. I should be able to say, don't be angry and bitter and cross with one another. But what happens when they don't have the renewal of the mind, when they don't have the, the power of the cross to transform their way of thinking and living and doing. There's a warning from a counselor, David Paulison. He, he passed away this year, has so much wisdom to pass on to us. He said, don't ever degenerate into giving good advice unconnected with the good news of Jesus, crucified, alive, present, at work, and returning. Each of these biblical principles are ripe. They're good. You need to hear them. You need to implement those in your lives. But don't ever detach those truths from the gospel foundation of Christ. You're in Christ. You're a new creature in Christ. You're endued with the Holy Spirit living in you until that day of redemption. And so your marriage your relationships can be transformed, not just helped, improved, given a boost, transformed when God's love for you in Christ and His forgiveness of you in Christ can get lived out in the way that you communicate with one another. Let's pray. Gracious God, our Heavenly Father, we thank You that You have loved us with an everlasting love in Your Son, Jesus. You have offered your greatest gift to us in the death of your son Jesus, we, we're amazed at the grace that you have extended to us. And so, Lord, as we think of this practical area of communication in our marriages, Lord, we, 
we confess that uh, we try hard, but often are not successful because sometimes we just try in our own strength. And so we ask for your power to be at work in us. We ask for you to transform us and that you would be glorified in this is our goal. We, we don't want the credit. We want you to get the credit. Lord, help us to humbly keep you central in our communication. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.